Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the City Point Church Sermon Podcast, where our desire is to help you follow Jesus. We are so glad that you are here, and wherever you are listening from, we believe that God has something in store for you through today's message. Colossians chapter 3. The title of this series is Jesus Above All. And we have been seeing through the book of Colossians the preeminence and the supremacy of Christ above all things and what it means to live our lives with Jesus above all. As we transition, as we come out of chapter 2 from last week and transition into chapter 3, this, this week we are going from deeply theological truths to very bottom shelf practical truths. And as Paul's custom, who is the writer of this letter, often is, as he writes these letters, he, he will often do that. He will lay a, a, a rich and a deep theological foundation at the beginning of his letters, and then he will transition to the practical, just hands-on, what does this look like in everyday life? And so as we, as we turn a page and turn a chapter into chapter 3, we're going to see that transition take place. And so here's the title of today's message. I've entitled this, New Orientation. New orientation. We only have a couple of verses here, so follow along with me. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. As Paul writes, he says, If then you have been raised with Christ, that is the new life that we have in Jesus, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Here's the big idea. It sits over top of the text that we've just read. And this is what we will study for these next few moments. New life in Jesus is a completely new orientation. It is unlike any other way of life. When you come to faith in Jesus, when your life is hidden with Christ in God, it becomes, you become a new creation in Christ. And so because of this new life, we have a completely new orientation. Our life is facing a different direction. We are pursuing different things. I wonder this morning, have you ever gone through orientation? Uh, maybe it was that first week in college. I was thinking back this past week. Some of you here are college students. Derek referenced this earlier. Uh, I was thinking back to my first week at college. When I went to college, I moved from the East Coast to the West Coast. I left my family. Uh, I left my life behind. Everything that I knew was back at home. Everybody that I didn't know was where I was going. And so they set aside the first couple of days of college for orientation. Because orientation helps you to understand what does life like this look like? What does this new life at college look like? And so we began learning things about like where we're going to go to class and where we're going to eat and where we, should, where we should park our car and what does student life look like? And all of that week, all of that orientation is helping to, to adjust and to change those things about the way I used to live to the way that I'm now going to live as I start college. Maybe orientation happened for you when you started a new job. And again, you may have even worked in that field before, but you come to a new job, a new place of employment, and they want you to go through orientation. Because orientation is, this is what life here at this company looks like. 
Doesn't matter what you've learned before or maybe how things were done at the last place of employment. This is how we do life here. So you learn about your team and you learn about the expectations and you learn about policies and procedures and all of that orientation is so that when you hit the ground, you can hit the ground running. And you know what that life at that company or that life at that new college is supposed to be like. Imagine how lost you would feel on your first day if you didn't have orientation. The reality is new life in Christ sometimes can feel a little disorienting. What does it mean when Paul says in verse 1, if then you've been raised with Christ? Like, boy, that sounds really cool, but what does that actually look like? How does that influence my Monday morning? We've just come out of chapter 2. Let me read some of the deep theological truths that we learned from chapter 2. You have been filled with Christ. Here's one. You were spiritually circumcised by the circumcision of Christ. Like, what in the world is that? You're going to have to go back and listen to the podcast for that one. You were buried with Christ. You are alive together with Christ. Your trespasses have been forgiven. The record of death that stood against you has been canceled and taken out of the way. You have died to the elemental spirits of the world. These are all the deep, rich truths that we learned from chapter 2. But we look at these and we're like, what does this all mean? How does this actually change the way that I live? And sometimes we might feel as Christians like a freshman who missed orientation and showed up on the first day of class. And we're like, I don't even know where to go. I don't even know what to do with all of this. And so here's what today is going to be. Today is going to be new life in Jesus orientation. So here we are. We're gathered in this room to learn what it means to walk the way of Jesus, to live a life that is oriented towards the new life in Christ that is very different from the old life, from the former life of the way that we used to live apart from Christ. So new life in Jesus is a completely new orientation. So the question that we want to ask and that this text is going to answer is how is new life in Jesus oriented? How is this new life in Jesus now oriented as one of his followers? It's going to look like this. My new life in Jesus is now oriented toward. Three orientations from this text. Number one, my new life in Jesus is now oriented toward pursuing a higher kingdom. Pursuing a higher kingdom. I want you to see it in verse 1. He says, if then you've been raised with Christ, there's your new life. Then he says this, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Jesus is the king of this kingdom. He says, where Christ is. Jesus is the king of this kingdom. And there are, there are two important details that we learn from this text about Jesus as he's king of this kingdom. First of all, he is seated. That means that as high priest, the work of redemption, the work of the forgiveness of our sin is done. There were no seats in the Jewish temple because the priests never sat down. There was no rest because there was always work. There were always sacrifices to be offered because there were always sins to be, to be covered and atoned for. But Jesus, as the high priest, Hebrews 1.3 says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high because the work for your forgiveness and for mine is completed. It's done. So he is seated. But we also find that he is at the right hand of the Father, which means that he has equal status and authority with God the Father. So Jesus is ruling and reigning as king of this kingdom along with the Father. 
And we, as his people, we are not complacent as residents of this kingdom. What Paul is encouraging and orienting our life towards in verse 1 is that we would seek the things that are above where Christ is. Christ is there because he is the king of this kingdom, but now we as his people, as residents of this kingdom, we are seeking after, we are pursuing this higher kingdom. The word seek is both active and imperative. It is active, meaning there is an action involved in this. We are, an, we are all in seeking this kingdom, but it's also imperative because it's a command that we obey. God is calling on us to orient our lives toward his kingship and toward his kingdom. So what is our purpose? If you recall the Lord's prayer as Jesus prayed it, he said, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Then he says, Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. So what is our purpose as residents of this kingdom? We seek what is above in order that what is above might be realized down below. We are bringing the kingdom from above to this earth. We are bringing the kingdom and the rule and the reign of King Jesus to the people and the friends and to the spheres of influence around us, which means we are intentionally seeking after and pursuing that higher kingdom, not just so that we can have our minds set on high and lofty things and not just so that we can be disconnected from our everyday reality, but so that what is happening in the kingdom of God up there might become a reality down here. That means the people that you know are being invited into this kingdom, the people that you know your coworkers, your sphere of influence, your friends, your family members. You are living on mission, seeking the kingdom that is above in order that you might bring others into that kingdom down below. This means that our resources and our time, these are being leveraged for the purpose of that kingdom. This means that we are praying prayers that are, that are for the kingdom, not just prayers for the things that we need and not just prayers that we might get a better job or, or a car that doesn't break down every other weekend, but we're actually praying prayers for the kingdom. We're praying prayers for the Spanish ministry that's going to be meeting here next week so that more people might be brought into the kingdom. We're praying for more open doors and opportunities here in Tempe and at ASU in order that more college students might be brought into the kingdom. We are praying specific prayers for the kingdom. We are seeking those things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father. So we orient our life, or maybe we reorient our life around the pursuit of this kingdom. Some of you in this room are, are, are pretty avid athletes, and when you get around a, a really intense athlete, you, you, will, you will come to find very quickly that they have oriented their entire life around that pursuit. They've oriented their life around the pursuit of that game, or they've oriented their life around the pursuit of that athletic endeavor. Their time, their schedule, they're thinking about, when am I going to get to the gym? When am I going to do that training? How do I fit that training in around everything else I need to do? Even the way that they eat, their eating habits are oriented around the pursuit of that game. They want to eat clean foods, clean energy, so that they can, so that they can, they can perform at their best. They're, they're putting money into the best trainers that can drive and push them to the best version of themselves. Even in the off-seasons of their particular sport or their particular game, they're thinking about the on-season. They're thinking about, what am I doing in the off-season so that I can be better prepared for when it's game time again? Because they have oriented their entire life around the pursuit of that game, the pursuit of that sport. And the point for us today is that everything in our life should be influenced 
by seeking the kingdom. Everything in our life oriented around the pursuit of Christ our King and His kingdom advancement here on this earth. The reality is, though, we don't only pursue the kingdom. Like, we have other things that we have to do. As parents, we got to get our kids up, we got to get them fed, we got to get them off to school, then we got to go to work ourselves, then we got to pick them up from school, then we got to get them to soccer practice, then we got to get the homework done, then we got to get them to bed. As college students, you're thinking, man, I got I to gotta still pass that test. I got to still turn in that project. I still got to work my job at Chick-fil-A or Dutch Bros, whatever it might be. I still got my friends. I've still got my dating relationship. You've got other things that are going on. So the question becomes, how do you fully pursue the kingdom when the kingdom is not the only thing you're pursuing? It's not about just eliminating everything else in life and we just become this, like, this is all we do. The reality is we are pursuing other things, but how do we fully pursue and, and, and seek the kingdom of God? And even as Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God. How do we fully pursue the kingdom of God when the kingdom of God is not the only thing we have to do this week? Well, I'm going to give you two words that I believe will help all of us to fully pursue the kingdom when the kingdom is not the only thing we're pursuing. It's these two words, front and center. Front and center. Jesus and his kingdom in our lives must be front and center. What does that mean? Well, think about the word front. You cannot serve two masters. There is one person who is leading. There is one person who is out in front. There is one person who must be calling the shots, and it must be King Jesus. You can do other things, and you can have other pursuits, and you can have other interests and hobbies. That's all good, and that's all fine, but Jesus is in front. When I was in kindergarten, it was a long time ago, but when I was in kindergarten, they would give out these jobs to all of the students in the class. And sometimes it would be like clapping the erasers or collecting the papers, but there was one particular job that was the coveted job. Every kindergartner, every five-year-old wanted that job, and it was the line leader. I mean, we wanted to feel like we were in charge, and we were going where the teacher told us to go, so we really had no but we wanted it to feel like, we wanted it to seem like we were the ones in charge. We wanted to be the line leader. Let me tell you, Jesus must be your line leader. Because everything follows where Jesus is going. Front. He is your master. He is your king. He is your Lord. But then he must also be center. What does it mean for Jesus and his kingdom to be center in your life? It means he is the hub, not just a spoke. See, if Jesus is just a spoke in your life, like one of the many things that you're juggling this week that have to be done, if he's just a spoke, then he's going to be one of the first things that go when life gets busy, when life gets hard, when things get challenging, when other pressures start to come in and other things have to get done. So which spoke needs to, needs to be set aside? But when Jesus is the hub, everything else revolves around him. When his kingdom and the pursuit of his kingdom is the hub, it means that Sunday mornings is God's day. Like, I'm there because we're pursuing the kingdom of God together. It means that life group, like, I'm committed to this. This isn't just something that I might do if I have time. I need to be with my community. I need to be with my people because Jesus is the hub, not just a spoke in your life. So if we are, if we are fully pursuing the kingdom, how do we fully pursue the kingdom when the kingdom is not the only thing we have to do this week? Jesus must be front and Jesus must be center. 
So what needs to be reoriented in your life so that your pursuit of Jesus' kingdom becomes front and center in your life? I can't answer that question for you. I can't hardly even begin to guess what that might be. But the Spirit of God that is alive in you, follower of Jesus, will whisper the answer to that question to you and just simply respond in obedience. My new life in Jesus is oriented toward pursuing a higher kingdom. Number two, my new life in Jesus is now oriented toward establishing a different mindset. Establishing a different mindset. This is verse two from our text. Look at it again with me. Paul writes and he says, don't just seek the things that are above, but now set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. So immediately we see that there are one of two kingdoms that are going to feed our mindset. Either those things that are above, as we just defined under point one, that is Christ, where he is seated at the right hand of the Father, where he is ruling and reigning as king of, the king, of that kingdom. But then now we also are introduced to this mindset that is on the earth, things that are down below. The earth or the world in Scripture is often a metaphor for the thoughts and the ideologies that are opposed to God. The world, it's not that everything in the world is intrinsically evil and wrong and bad and we just need to stay away from it all and just hunker down in this safe place until Jesus comes back. But we have to be aware that we are constantly being fed by mindsets and ideologies from the world. Much of what you are seeing as you scroll your Instagram, as you scroll your TikTok, much of what you are seeing and being inundated with is a philosophy and a mindset that is not from above, but it is from below. As you read and as you watch what you're seeing in the news, much, much of what is, what, is, what is coming at you, the barrage of information that's coming at, coming at you is ideology and thinking that is from the world, not necessarily from what is above. And so as we are be, being bombarded by all of these thoughts, the world is constantly preaching at us its anti-gospel message. Now we are in the world, but we are not of the world, and so what does it mean then to establish a mindset that is different? Our mindset is on the things that are above, and it's different from the mindset on the things that are below. And if you're here this morning and you're wondering, well, is there like a list somewhere that would articulate maybe what the mindset from above might look like? Yes, there actually is. Philippians chapter 4 in verse 8, for all of us who are list people and we just, we just want to see it in black and white, here it is. This is what a mindset that is set on things above focuses on, thinks about. Finally, brothers, which is a generic term, brothers and sisters in Christ, those of you who are in the family of God, finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely... Whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So let this be the matrix. Let this be what determines for you, if I, if I find myself setting my mind on something, but it doesn't fall into this category of what's listed in these verses, it's probably not from above, it's probably thinking that is from below. Why is this so important? Why is it so important that we don't just seek the things that are above, but that we also set our minds on the things that are above. This is important because our, our thoughts are connected to our affections. 
What we think about, we love. What we love, we think about. Think back on those days when you were dating, or maybe you're in those days right now, and you found that, that perfect someone. And all of a sudden, it didn't matter where you were or what you were doing, they were on your mind. I mean, you're walking through Target, and they're on your mind. You're driving down the freeway, and you're thinking about that special someone. Because what you think about reflects what, what you are affectionate towards and who you are affectionate towards. But, but the reverse is true as well because what we are affectionate towards and what, what we set our affections on stirs our thinking. And so this is why we must set our thoughts on things that are above because it reveals not just what we're thinking about but what we are affectionate towards. As a matter of fact, some earlier, older translations of the English Bible actually translate mind as affection. Set your affections on things that are above because they're intertwined. Your affections and your thoughts are intertwined. By the way, I would say that it's possible to be seeking but not setting. It's possible to be seeking the things that are above and pursuing the kingdom of God on the outside, and yet you are not setting your mind on it. On the inside, your affections for the kingdom of God and for the person of Christ are not being influenced in any way. And let me just say, that's a dangerous place to be, and some of us have been there. We've been doing the things on the outside, but our heart has not been stirred on the inside. Our heart has been disconnected from our hands. Neurologists tell us that our minds have neurological pathways. These are like ruts of, of thinking. And when you think a certain way over and over and over and over again, it, it creates this neurological pathway. This is why, whether you realize it or not, you brush your teeth the same way every single time. Okay? I'm bottom left, bottom right, top right, top left. That's how I do it every single time. I don't even think about it. The toothbrush just goes to the bottom left every single time, first time, I, first time. Because I've got this neurological... I just lost my mic. Hey, Derek, give me that mic. I'm going to switch you guys. There we go. Okay, sorry. So our minds have these neurological pathways. So if you have been setting your mind on things that are below, here's what happens. Whether you realize it or not, you have been establishing some thinking ruts that have been below, down below, of this world, of this earth. But here's the good news, because neurologists also tell us that while we establish these neurological pathways, we can create new ones. You can brush your teeth a different way if you don't prefer the way that you're doing it right now. You can establish new neurological pathways. It takes time, it takes intentionality, but you can do that. And so th these are important things because if you have been setting your mind on things that are below rather than things that are above, then there is hope that you can establish some new ways of thinking that actually first and foremost think about what is above before thinking about what is below. So what practices help us to establish our mind on things that are above? I'm going to give you three practices that help. And maybe, maybe this is where you need to form some, some new ruts in the way that you think. What practices help establish your mind on things above? The first practice is clearing your mind. Clearing your mind. The first thing you need to do is declutter your mind. We are, we are so busy. We are so distracted. We are so anxious. There are so many things on our mind. We are running here and running there. We've got so many things to do. We need to clear our mind. We need to stop. We need to sit in silence 
in solitude and just be, abide, as we sang a moment ago. Be with our creator. We're so distracted. Our phones are constantly buzzing and chiming at us with notifications. Maybe it's time for a noise detox. Maybe you need to go in and eliminate some of those notifications. You just need to clear your mind from being distracted and pulled to other things. We're busy, we're distracted, and then we're just, we're anxious. And you know what I have found? I'm never anxious when I've set my mind on things above. I am only anxious when I've set my mind on things below. When I'm thinking about that bill that has to be paid, when I'm thinking about that health concern, when I'm thinking about that fractured relationship, I'm, I'm thinking about things that are below. I'm worrying. I'm fretting. But just some time in solitude, some time in prayer, all of a sudden my mind becomes cleared from those anxious thoughts and I'm starting to see more clearly as I'm focusing on Christ and his kingdom. So the first thing is clear your mind. What do you need to do this week to just clear your mind? Clear your mind of all of those things that are distracting and worrying you so that you can, in fact, set your thoughts and set your mind on things that are above. The second practice is develop thinking muscles. Develop thinking muscles. What I mean by this is don't just be spoon-fed everything that you believe. Don't just be spoon-fed everything that you think. I am happy to stand up here on Sunday mornings and I'm happy to take another paragraph from God's word and to deliver it to you. But there is something special about you getting something from God yourself. Study for yourself. Pursue truth for yourself. Find the answers for yourself. Go deep. Develop that thinking muscle in your life so that you can understand what it means to be in Christ what it means to have this new relationship with him. And then let me encourage you, don't tap out early. Don't, don't just be like, well, I, you know, I kind of sat in that for a little bit, couldn't quite figure it out, I guess that's, that's that. Just keep and just go deep and stay there long. Go deep and stay long. Develop those, those thinking muscles so that you are, you are understanding who you are in Christ and you are developing the muscle of setting your mind on things that are above. Clear your mind. Develop thinking muscles. And then thirdly, commit to community. Commit to community. You say, John, you guys talk about this a lot. That's because it's in Scripture a lot. These two, these two imperatives, these two commands to seek the things that are above, that is a plural verb. He's saying, I want you all to seek together the things that are above. And then look at it again in verse 2. Set your minds, plural. It's not you individually set your mind, but it's you collectively and corporately as a body of believers together set your minds on things that are above. And it's amazing how the pursuit of God's kingdom and the, the, the changing of our mindset, how much more we can do that in community than we can on our own. You need each other. I need e- We need each other. I need you. You need me. We need each other in this as we are pursuing the higher kingdom and as we are establishing a different mindset. The idea that you can somehow be a follower of Jesus and simultaneously be connected from life-on-life community with other believers is a lie that Satan would love for you to believe. He would love for you to swallow that one, hook, line, and sinker, that somehow you can just do this all on your own. That is a foreign concept to New Testament Christianity. Even in these commands in chapter 3, Paul is writing a letter. Let's think about the context. He's writing a letter to a body of believers, not an individual. 
And so he is telling all of them collectively and corporately, seek the higher kingdom and together set your minds on, a, on, a, on that different kingdom, on the things that are above. My new life in Jesus is now oriented toward pursuing a higher kingdom, toward establishing a different mindset, and number three, toward occupying an inseparable union. My new life in Jesus is now oriented toward occupying an inseparable union. This is verses three and four. He says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This, this is the inseparable union that you and I are now occupying. When you put faith in Christ, you occupy with God an inseparable union. Verse 3 is telling us that this union is, union is secure. And verse 4 is telling us that this union is eternal. Look again at verse 3. I want you to see the security of this union. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now I want to give you an object lesson this morning that I hope will help to bring this to light and help you to better understand what's going on here. I'm going to set it up here. I want to explain what's going on in verse Three of this text. So he says, you have died. That is a term that means that you have, when you put faith in Christ, you die with Christ. His death becomes your death. His life becomes your life, which means his righteousness becomes your righteousness. So when he says you died, that is at that, is at that moment of faith. When you have put faith in Christ, you died and your life was hidden with Christ. Now I have here a little Lego figurine. This is going to be you. I went into my son's Legos and I picked the first Lego that I could find and I found Chewbacca. <laughs> so we are all Chewbacca this morning. Here, here he is. So you died. And when you died, your life was hidden with Christ. That means that you were placed into Christ. You are secure in him. But the verse doesn't stop there. When you died, your life was hidden with Christ, but then it says, in God. So Christ has now been placed into God. Christ in God, us in Christ, this is the security of our inseparable union. That's what this verse is teaching. But this verse is going to, th this verse takes us these two steps, but there's a third step to this as well. Because we find in Scripture that not only are we hidden with Christ in God, but we also have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. So I've got some saran wrap. I'm going to put my mic down. So not only are you hidden with Christ in God, but you have also been eternally sealed by the Holy Spirit. This is you. Guess what? There ain't no getting out of here. You're stuck. You're secure. Your life has been hidden with Christ. Christ has been hidden in God. And now the Holy Spirit of God has sealed you so that you cannot lose what Christ has given to you. You can't fall out of this relationship. You didn't do anything to get into it. You can't do anything to get out of it. You are secure. 
And so verse 3 is talking about this inseparable union that we have with Christ in God, now sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. This is why nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can get you out of this box, including you and your failures and your shortcomings and your disappointments. You are secure in Christ This union is secure, but this union is also eternal. Look again at verse 4. He says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So not only is it a secure union, but it is also an eternal union. Christ is going to appear. That means that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back, folks. He left, and when he left, he says, I, am, I will return. I will come back. And he, we are looking forward to that day. It is an imminent return. It is an expectant return. We know that our king is coming. It is going to happen suddenly. So if anybody thinks that they can predict it, they're fooling themselves. But it's also going to happen instantaneously. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Do you know how long the twinkling of an eye is? The twinkling of an eye is the measurement of time between the time when light enters the front of your eye, goes to the back of your eye, bounces off the back of your eye, and comes back out the front of your eye. That is the twinkling of an eye. It is one billionth of a second. That's how quickly Christ will appear and we will appear with him. Like that. Actually, faster than that. Christ is going to appear. He is coming back. And then we have this promise that we will appear with him him. We talk about growing into the likeness of Christ. In much of our Christian life and our Christian journey, we are becoming more and more like Christ. Do you realize that a day is coming when you will no longer have to grow into the image of Christ because you will be the image of Christ? The deficit between who you now are and who Christ is will be gone. There will be no deficit. There will be no distinction between you and Christ, because you will appear with him in glory. This is what we call theologically glorification. We will be with him, and we will be like him. I want to read these two verses over you. 1 John 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, for now, right now, in this life, we see in a mirror dimly. Do you feel that? Do you feel the metaphor of that? Life feels dim. It feels incomplete. It feels partial. But now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Someday, the not yet will be the already. We will be with him, and we will be like him. What are the everyday effects of occupying this inseparable union? What, is, what does this theologically mean for me tomorrow morning? It means that all fear is eliminated. There is no fear that somehow I'm going to fall out of this There is no fear that somehow this is going to be broken. I don't have to live in fear. Perfect love casts out fear. So it eliminates fear. What what is the reality of this union? It also encourages communion. God has pursued me. 
And now he wants me to enter into communion with him. So we lean into this relationship. He is not a distant, far-off God, but he is one who is coming near and desires to be with us. But this also, this inseparable union also elevates hope. And the hope is that God is not yet done. Wherever you might be on your journey, whatever deficit might still be there, as you look at your life and you're thinking, I just wish this area of my life looked a little bit more like Jesus. I just wish I didn't still struggle in this area or this compartment or with this sin or with these thoughts or with this depression or with this discouragement. Whatever that deficit is, listen, God is not done. And one day, he will bring it to completion when he appears. And we will be with him and we will be like him. So what is happening between the already and the not yet? What is happening in the tension between these two points He has secured us at a moment of faith, and someday he's going to return, and we will be like him, and we will be with him. But what's happening in between? Well, it's nestled away right in verse 4. When Christ, here it is, who is your life, that's the now. If what he has done, when when you put faith in Christ, you died, and your life was hidden with Christ in God, that's what happened at the moment of faith, and someday he's coming back. What's happening now? Well, Christ is my life. What do you live for? Jesus. Why do you live each day? Well, Jesus. How would you define your life? Jesus. When Christ who is your life. That's what's happening right now. Christ defines who we are. He, he defines our very existence. So we live today in the freedom of our new life in Christ. You don't have to live your Christian life like you missed orientation. You don't have to be wandering around, disillusioned, not, suring, not sure what's going on in your life. You can live with the confidence of a new orientation because new life in Jesus is a completely new orientation. That's the big idea. And now we are oriented toward pursuing a higher kingdom. We are seeking those things that are above, where Christ is, where he is seated, where he is ruling and reigning. We are oriented toward establishing a different mindset, not one that is focused on the things here below. Yes, we are still living a life here below, but our thoughts and our mind and our affections are on things that are above. And we are occupying, we are living in the reality of an inseparable union. We are not living in fear. We are living in communion. We are living with expectation that God is still at work in our lives. So as we consider the truth of this paragraph, we want the Spirit of God to bring the Word of God to bear in our lives. So I have a couple of questions. We call these our learning to live questions. My first question is this. Has your life been hidden with Christ in God? In other words, are you inside this box? You say, John, I've, I've gone to church a little bit, or I've been spiritual. I've, I've, I kind of lean into that a little bit. I, 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 I want to I I be a good person. I've done these. I'm not asking if you've done things or if you've been spiritual or if you've had an experience of some kind. I'm asking, has your life been hidden with Christ in God? Has there been a moment of faith in your life when you turned from your way? 
and you turn to God's way. And some of you in this room, you have, you have heard this question over and over and over and over again, and you have not yet said yes to Jesus. And what I'm asking you is today, are you ready to say yes to him? Are you ready to stop running? Are you ready to stop trying? Are you ready to stop making excuses? And are you ready to trust? I'm not asking you to do anything. He does it all. I'm asking you simply to trust what he's already done. And if you are here today and maybe you've got some questions about what it means to have to put faith in Jesus and for your life to be hidden with Christ in God, or maybe you're here today and you're like, I'm ready. That's me. I'm ready to say yes to Jesus. Wherever you might be, if you have questions or if you are ready to make that decision today, I would encourage you, as soon as this service is over, I want you to stop by the desk in the lobby. One of our leaders is going to be there, and they would love to meet you. They would love to hear your story. They would love to answer any questions you might have. And if you're ready, like if you're at the point like, I'm ready. I mean, you may have even done it right now. Like you just put faith in God, but you're ready. They would love to pray with you and give a resource to you that will help you to understand what that new life means, what that new orientation means that you've now put faith in Christ. By the way, that's the best decision you'll ever make. Don't keep coming to church thinking that church somehow puts you into Christ. The only thing that puts you into Christ is faith in Christ. And if you've already done that, your life is already hidden with Christ in God, then my second question is for you. Where does your life need reorientation? Where does an adjustment need to happen? What have you been seeking that has not been Jesus? Where does Jesus need to be front and center again? Where have you been placing your mind and setting your mind? What, what things have been occupying your thinking recently? Have they been things that are above or are they things that are below? And have you stopped living in the life, occupying the reality of this new inseparable union? Have you been going to other things? Is Christ no longer your life? Where do you need to reorient your life around Christ? And then my third question, how could a properly oriented life lead to mission for Jesus this week? Just think about it. If you're seeking those things that are above, if you're setting your mind on things that are above, if you are secure in the relationship that you have with Christ, how could God use you this week to live intentionally for Him so that somebody else could be invited in, so that somebody else could hear the good news? The amazing thing is, in a moment, we're going to scatter from this room. And every one of us, as we scatter, we're going to go to, we're going to, go to different people. You're going to interact with people this week that I will never interact with. I will interact with people that you're not going to interact with. And yet all of us have been called not just to seek after and to set our mind on things that are above, but that the kingdom that is above might be realized on the earth below. And so we are called to be kingdom seekers and kingdom pursuers so that we can advance that kingdom. And God wants to use you. So allow your life to be oriented around Christ. And then go into this week looking, pursuing, praying, and believing that God wants to use you to make a difference for his kingdom. New life in Jesus, it can be a little disorienting sometimes. Like what does it actually mean? Well, we've sat through orientation here this morning. Hopefully you feel a little better equipped to go into this week. We are orienting our life towards the kingdom that is higher. We are orienting our life towards a different mindset. 
and we are orienting our life towards occupying this inseparable union, living in the reality that Christ is our life. Can we pray together? Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we've had this morning to study your word. Thank you for the truths that are found in this passage that are just so relevant, they're just so applicable to our lives. I want to pray this morning for the one, the one in this room under the sound of my voice who's been making excuses and who's been running and who's been pursuing other things and believing other things and just trusting that they somehow in and of their own effort and work will somehow place themselves into a relationship with God. I pray that they would stop running today. And I pray that they would believe in the finished work of Christ and that their life would be hidden with Christ in God today. I want to pray for those of us who are followers of Jesus that we would not allow ourselves to be disoriented or or misoriented in pursuing other things and thinking about other things, but that we would seek after the, the, the things that are above and set our mind on things that are above, that we would actually live differently this week because Christ is our life. May your work be done among us. May your will be done among us. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about City Point Church, visit us online at citypointaz.com. You can also find us on social media at citypointaz. Be sure to leave a review, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. Now from us here at City Point Church, go seeking to live on mission for the glory of God with this truth stamped over your life that you are loved.